grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to California Haunts Radio, special edition, late tonight. It's kind of fun to be at different hours doing this. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and we've got a great show lined up for you. My, Like I said, my name is Charlotte, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 35 strong, up and down the state of California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Nevada, and Hawaii. You want to find us, you want to find the radio show, you can find us at www.californiahauntsradio.com or you can check us out on our YouTube channel, either way. But if you get on our radio radio, um, website, you will find all of our archives going back for a year and a half of doing this show in this format. And then eventually I will have all the archives going back five, six years, maybe ten years from doing the show on Blog Talk like we did. So that's in the process of working, but you'll be able to find everything on our radio website. Tonight's guest is very esteemed Dr. Robert Farrell. And we're going to be talking UFOs. We're going to be talking his interests with UFOs because he's also got other interests as well. And he's got five. He's written five books. And we, I want to talk about all that. This man, you know, he's, 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 he's just brilliant. And so I can't wait to talk to him. And... Hey, Jerry. And without further ado, let me bring him in. Hello, sir. Hello, Charlotte. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. What I wouldn't give to be where you're at right now, especially this time of year. (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, it's beautiful here. Yes, it is. My family is from Hungary. Oh, okay. Just over the border, more or less. Just over the border, yeah. Yeah. I know I've seen videos, you know, Rick Steves of all people, right? You know, when, when he does that Christmas thing around the world and oh my gosh, what I wouldn't give to be in to be yeah. in Austria. Yeah. No, I'm very lucky. My daughter lives here, so I can come and visit here anytime I want. And this is always a good time to be here. Absolutely. All I hear is Tchaikovsky and Mozart. You know what I mean? That's all I can see. And every time I look yeah. at the countryside or anything like that, that's what I hear. You know, and, and all the waltzes, the Strauss yeah. waltzes and all that. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my, my, my. Mozart so welcome. Yeah, welcome to the Thank show. You. Tell Thank me you. about you. Um, well, uh, my background is engineering, although I've had a passion for science all my life. Um, after I graduated from university, um, I took a job as a design engineer for about 15 years, actually. total, Actually, 20 years total. Last five years, I was vice president of engineering. And during that period, at the end, I got a letter from Penn State University. They were starting a plastics program because that was the industry that I was in. Uh-huh. And uh, this was for Erie, Pennsylvania campus. There was a lot of plastics companies around there, and they wanted th- – their experience has been that uh, when they get – engineering graduates in plastics from other schools eventually they end up uh going back home after mm-hmm. a couple of years so they wanted a homegrown program and so that's how i ended up at penn state uh the letter asked uh, told me that they were looking for someone and did i know someone and i thought about it for probably a month and i realized it was me i was ready for a change so academia life is much different than industry for sure but I bet it, it was is. 
it was a very positive experience. I was there for 15 years and we grew the program from four students to 230 students enrolled in the program. Um, and I, I keep track of my graduates and some of them are CEOs now. And so it's very gratifying. But anyway, after I retired, um, I had during the, that, that time when I was teaching and everything, I was interested in UFOs and um, especially how they worked because they mm -hmm. did some amazing things. And uh, when I retired, I thought, you know, I should share my knowledge. I was going to write a book called uh, UFOs or something like that. <laughs> but the problem was uh, the people that I felt that I had to reach were people who don't think about UFOs normally during the day. Uh, and maybe they wouldn't go into Barnes and Noble's New Age section to buy a book on UFOs, but right. they would read science fiction. So I decided to start my Alien Log science fiction series where through the dialogue, I kind of give out the same information that I, uh, there it is, that's the first book in the series. And um, so that's my approach. And then uh, also shortly after I retired, I began lecturing. Um, the title of my lecture I started in 2004, it was uh, The Science Behind Alien Encounters. And uh, I did that for a number of years and it was very well received to the extent that I decided I should put it into print. So in 2011, I launched uh, the nonfiction series called The Science Behind. And that particular one was called The Science Behind Alien Encounters. And today it's really a popular book because I think the interest in UFOs has really grown. And um, also I developed some other lectures that we'll probably talk about later. <clears throat> Uh, sure. the, but they're all science behind. They're, they're my take on things. I'm, I'm probably at the fringe a little bit as far as uh -huh. the science goes. But uh, I'm very careful to not use science that people probably would not have uh, right out of high school so that they can understand it. Because uh -huh. <clears throat> that's my mission. My mission is to, um, you might say, enlighten people. And in regards to UFOs, I, I really feel dedicated to that mission. I think it's really important that people come to the belief that there are aliens visiting our planets. There have been. And um, when when they see all these reports of these miraculous things these UFOs do, I think they they tend to say, well, that's magic or that can't be. So therefore, UFOs don't exist. So my approach mm -hmm. is to try and explain how they do all those things with just science that everybody understands. And And my theory is if if they can believe that, yeah, that you can do that. Maybe we, maybe we can't right now, but it's possible theoretically. Uh, and so therefore maybe there are UFOs, you know, that's kind of my, my approach to things. Well, it's fascinating because you are a science, you know, essentially you do look at this from a science perspective because a lot of the science people want to dismiss them right away, you know, and it's, it's neat because you don't do that. That's correct. Actually, uh, right after uh, the Roswell incident in 1947, um, th we didn't have that feeling. People actually accepted uh, UFOs. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they, uh, there was actually a, a, a research group formed the, by the government called the Project Sign. And at the end of that, about a year later, they actually announced, hey, yeah, you know, there are UFOs. And guess what? They're, they're not from this planet. Well, immediately after that, another project was started called Project Grudge, and mm -hmm. its whole mission was to debunk what the first one said. <laughs> and and, and um, so ever since then, 
the government has deliberately been downplaying um, UFOs and in fact, making it almost a giggle factor. And they've been successful. They were successful at that. So it was became something that respectable scientists would not want to get involved in. That's changing. Uh, And I think it's changing uh, quickly. Mm -hmm. And I I think uh, it won't be long and people will say, yeah, you know, if you don't believe in UFOs, you're the crazy one. Right. What, like you were saying, uh, the science behind UFOs, what do you think they are exactly? Uh, well, they are a variety of craft because I think if if you can um, justify your your belief that there are aliens visiting us, uh, there are probably a lot of different species visiting us over a period of time, and they all don't drive Chevrolets. You know, okay. some may have Cadillacs and and Mercedes over here. They they can travel over around. here <laughs> in Germany, I think they have Mercedes. <laughs> they have as Mercedes and BMW. <laughs> BMWs. Yeah, that's a big yes. one here. So you can tell, you know, if it's a German uh, UFO or not. But uh, <laughs> so they're different. Um, but I think they've all mastered the ability to uh, manipulate or create gravity, gravitational field propulsion. And that is the key, really, to explaining a lot of things that people see them do. Uh, and so in my lecture, I talk about mm-hmm. that and I have even a whole separate lecture on uh, the science behind gravity field propulsion key to interstellar travel, because we are never going to get out of our solar system using rockets with field propulsion, which is what gravity propulsion is. Right. Uh, you don't have to carry a lot of stuff with you that you throw out the exhaust pipe in order to move you forward. Um, so you can go long distances and you can accelerate at very high rates like hundreds of g's right now our pilots are pretty much limited to maybe five or six g's mm-hmm. um, and even with that they have to wear a special g suit to keep right. them from blacking out so these craft repeatedly and, and many times uh are clocked at, at doing 100 g's and in fact i did a quick calculation uh, the report from that 2004 encounter that the navy had where the pilot said well this ufo this tic tac they called it came Uh right up to me and all of a sudden it was gone but less than six minutes later it was on radar 60 miles away so i did a quick calculation that means it had to accelerate and then decelerate at about a thousand g's whoa and that's not that's not a problem if you're using field propulsion uh it really doesn't matter how fast you accelerate. And right. that that in itself, then in the future, will allow us to accelerate to very high speeds. With, with 100G acceleration, I did this calculation, we can get to Mars in 12 hours. It's not, wow. it's, not a, it's not a long trip. The really nice thing that I like, if we had airplanes that could do that, instead of me taking 14 hours to get to Innsbruck, uh, right. it'd, be, it'd be 14 minutes. So I like well, that. Don't we, I mean, we've got, well, we had the Concorde. And that helped a lot, you know? Yeah. But now, like you say, now we don't, we really don't have that at this point. I mean, <laughs> you know, everything yeah. is slow. Well, you know, uh, Concorde turned out to be uh, uh, expensive to, to run and uh, polluting as well. Yeah. But, uh, so that's another thing with the gravity field propulsion. Once we adopt it and our in- aircraft industry goes to that type of device, right. uh, they'll stop polluting the atmosphere. And um, so there's a lot of advantages 
that, that will, will encounter. The, the interesting thing is it appears as though uh, they are somehow tapping into what's called free energy. So they don't have to carry a lot of fuel to, right. to power them. Uh, it's free. And can you imagine what our uh, energy industry is going to say about that when someone discloses that? They're going to say, oh, no, no, UFOs, aren't, that's, that's impossible. You, yeah. UFOs don't exist. You know, go, don't look here. Just go out, go away, do something else. <laughs> yeah, they're going to poof all over it. Because, you know, when you yeah. look at our, when you look, you're right about our rockets. So when you look at the rockets we're designing, it's all fine and dandy, but they're big and bulky, man. You know, they're, they're, they suck up a lot of fuel. And um, I don't see, like, like, like you say, I don't see us getting beyond where we're at right now because they need something that's going to go fa- a lot, a heck of a lot faster. Yes. Well, you know, with a 100G acceleration, uh, if you do it for an extended period of time, you can approach the speed of light. And uh, in my lecture, I have a graph that shows uh, that somebody gets in a a new model Chevrolet that can do a 100G acceleration and they buzz off into space and uh, they're accelerating at 100Gs. And after 28 uh, days, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I, 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 less than that. I, I give them a call and I say, well, how are you doing? Um, and <laughs> t- they're actually out there about 40 light years away. And to them, their calendar says it's 28 days. Yeah. Um, so when they turn around and come back, by the time they get back and they land, they get out of their, their spacecraft, the world has advanced 80 years. So wow. even their grandkids probably are dead by then. <laughs> wow. So, so they can do time travel. You know, like, like you were just talking about the G's. What makes yeah. this different for the person that, that's flying the thing that they're not going to experience G's? Well, you know, that is the, the key right there. How, how could they do that without squashing the occupants? Right. And uh, so what I do is a thought experiment in, in my uh, lecture. Uh, I have someone volunteer to go into the nose cone of a V2 rocket. And um, I set up a communication uh, to device <laughs> and I... I light the fuse and off they go. And so I, I say, okay, now uh, what, what's happening? And they, they say, oh, well, um, the thing is accelerating. I'm being pulled down into my couch and the G meter says four Gs. And I say, wow. And I'm watching, all of a sudden the, the flame fizzles out. So now they're coasting a little bit. And I say, no, what's happening? And they say, oh, well, I'm tending to float around the cab and my G meter says zero. And I say, ooh. And then I've noticed that now it's falling back to earth. I say, well, so what's happening now? And they say, oh, uh, again, I'm floating in my couch and the G meter says zero. I said, well, actually you're accelerating at one G. And if we did this experiment on Jupiter, it'd be 40 Gs. You're free falling. So if you propel your craft with a gravitational field, Mm -hmm. you would free fall. Whichever direction you point the field, you will free fall into it. Or if it's a negative field, which most people aren't familiar with, uh, you would free fall away from it. You have okay. no sensation of motion. You would bounce off like uh, it would be like bouncing off like, like a magnet, like like when you got opposite magnets, right? Is that how it works? Mm, no, it, it's actually a field that you create uh, that right, surrounds okay. the yeah. surrounds okay. the, the, the surrounds the craft and okay. all the everything in it. It's right, like okay. a bubble. It's like a bubble. Right. Kind of bouncing and, off. Okay. No, you're not. In fact, in my science, my latest science fiction novel, <laughs> the Alien Log number four. This is why I'm not a scientist. <laughs> what's that? 
This is why I'm not a scientist. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Let me. So, okay. in my uh, book number four, uh, there are the, the team, and it's a team of people that are in all books. But anyway, they're investigating this uh, UFO that's buried under a thousand feet of ice. Excuse me. Gosh. Yeah, it is Just late at night. It. It's, late. it's midnight for me. <laughs> well, I know it's only nine o'clock in the morning here, so you need to come to Innsbruck. <laughs> I do. I really want to come to Innsbruck. So they they encounter these aliens. In fact, they're, I modeled them after the the bodies that I saw in Peru, but right. um, and and these these bodies are actually grown. They're 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 like slaves, but they don't know it, uh, and they're. So they ask him, well, um, why don't you move this ship out from under the ice? And they say that, well, uh, we, we don't know how to move it. The, the makers, the, those are the ones that actually grew the, these these smaller aliens. Right. The make the makers are the only ones that can fly this craft, and they're out exploring for the thousand years. Uh, so anyway, so the question was, well, now when you do move, what's it like? And they say, well, uh, they just put in where they want to go, and we're there. Cool. We don't even know. It just we we look out the window a minute later and we're there, you know. Oh, maybe maybe there's more than a minute. Maybe it's ten <laughs> minutes later. But they have no sensation of moving, right? Because the craft and everything is free falling wherever they want it to go, and that's how UFOs can make what appear to be right angle turns because they just vector the force field in another direction and they free fall in that direction. That makes perfect sense. Good. I hope so. <laughs> I'm thinking of you as a Gene Roddenberry type. That's what I'm thinking of you as right now. Actually, uh, may, thank you for that. But uh, I was doing a little research. Uh, uh, um, there, there was an author. He was actually a scientist. Um, Robert Forward was his name. He, he worked for NASA for a while and the mm -hmm. later aircraft industry. And he, he actually did a lot of research into gravity. But on the side, he wrote science fiction, and most people know him more for his science fiction than his science. But he was known for the fact that his science fiction used science. In other words, it, 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 okay. it didn't violate any science rules in whatever story he was telling. And that's the way I, I do it, too. That's uh, awesome. I avoid, well, I, I avoid uh, wormholes and uh, interdimensional. <laughs> Because right. I'm afraid, I think I think I'll lose the audience. The audience right. uh, that I, I've got to keep a nuts and bolts approach to it, or I think I'll lose the people that I'm trying to convince that this is reality. Now, my next question in all this is, what are these things made out of to go that fast? Uh, well, first of all, they could be made out of paper. Probably doesn't really matter <laughs> uh, <laughs> because they they have the field around them. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it lets, and I, I think actually it's a negative field, and I have some evidence I'll talk about later that, okay. that they're actually using a negative gravitational field. So, so, but on one side of them, this negative field is stronger than on the other, so that makes them mm -hmm. go toward the less negative field. But that negative field is is moving along ahead of the craft, and this is how they can go supersonically without creating a sound, uh, uh, a shock wave. Because in our aircraft, when we move along, as we are moving through the air, the air pressure builds up in front of the, the craft. And it's like a signal. It's sending ahead of the craft to tell the molecules, move out of the way. Mm -hmm. Well, that signal can only travel at the speed of sound. And, and once we get to the speed of sound, they crash into us and we have a, a, 
a, a, a shockwave. Okay. Well, if you had another way to warm those molecules, it's not limited to the speed of sound, let's say mm -hmm. gravitational field or even electric fields. Uh, they move out of the way faster and you don't develop a shockwave. You can go as fast as you want without a shockwave because you're protected by the shield of negative gravity. Let's say you want to jump into the ocean and go onto the water. Sure. Same thing. You can take a craft and you can just say, I'm going down in the water. You go down in the water and you still have that negative field surrounding you that's letting you go through the water. These things can go through the water at over 100 miles an hour. Uh, they're called the USOs because they right. happen to go into the water. But uh, so the, the gravitational field is the key to the whole thing. It explains a lot of things about UFOs. But you could make them out of tinfoil probably. Wouldn't matter. <laughs> um, are we even remotely like trying this stuff out or anything like that? Or are they just sitting tight with what they have? Well, uh, a lot of people think that some of the UFOs that, that our people are seeing are actually our craft that we've reversed engineered. I mean, ever mm -hmm. since uh, Roswell, or even maybe a little before that, but ever since 1947, uh, we probably have had in our possession some crashed UFOs. Right. And if you if you put all the talent that we have in, in this country or any country uh, at work for 70 years, wouldn't you think they could reverse engineer it? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's not rock. Well, I can tell you from, you know, it's gravity I, I, I live right near, well, what used to be a, a air base re, re, repair for the Air Force. And the B-1 bomber, you know, the, that whole Delta, that whole Delta, not the B-1 so much, but the B-2, you know, the whole Delta wing thing. When you see those at night, they look like a UFO. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, Charlotte, uh, my, my daughter set me up here on my computer. <laughs> she said, well, I'm not blaming her for it, but she teaches online some it college happens. courses. And she said, well, you know, I can take you down so you can use my computer because it's plugged directly into the Internet and it gives you a more stable platform. Right. And if you make a decision to do that, I will call my daughter. She's down there and uh, I'll tell her, you know what? I need to move down there and plug directly into the Internet. Um, so I don't this is the first time I've encountered this kind of uh, problem. I don't know. So you, you tell me what you want to do. I think we're okay. We'll just go okay. on. It's cool. We're good. Okay. Okay. Good. But as I was saying, is that you know they they they, they got this technology from somewhere. You know, like for the stealth fighter, for instance, because like I said, I I I use the base is closed now, but but I live near the repair base, and so at night you see the stealth fighter coming in, and that thing looked creepy because you know being the delta wing shape. A lot yeah. of people mistook them for UFOs. Yeah. So I mean, the, so they've got to be getting getting that technology. Ooh, I don't want to yeah. my mouth. Look at my mouth. The technology, <laughs> the technology from somewhere. Yeah. Well, uh, that's right. Uh, I I, I got to believe they've they've done some reverse engineering, and uh, the thing is that I find very interesting is when the government, you know, supposedly they're saying, okay, you, you got us. We, these are pictures we can't deny. Those are real. So. Uh, so now we're going to have to tell you what, the, you know, what we think about them or what give you a report. And mm -hmm. uh, so they're right now between a, a rock and a hard spot because of that. what can they say? Well, first thing they should say is 
you know, we have to investigate this more because we, we, we know it's there, but we, we can't tell you exactly what it is. So give us some time. We want to investigate it, you know, another well, 70 years, basically. So there's, that's the stalling technique, which they're doing now. They're forming these new right. committees with the alphabet soup committees. You know, you, you can never remember the name of it. So you're never going to be able to track down what they really found <laughs> out. But anyway, that's one option. The other option they could say, well, you know, that is our secret te technology that we have developed. And uh, of course, what I'm going to say, if they tell me that, I'll say, you know, if, if that UFO can travel 60 miles in six seconds, I want you to build an airplane that can get me to Innsbruck from Arizona in 12 minutes because they should be able to do that, right? Right. Uh, or not only that, but the fact that they, they're over unity as far as energy, that, in other words, they, they, they have free energy. Uh, I really want to stop paying my electric bill. So mm -hmm. why don't you do something about that? So that's a no-win situation. If they announce that they have the technology, people are going to say, well, okay, give it to us. Right. The third, third answer is, you know, that's for real. And guess what? It comes from another planet. We don't know where it came from, but it's out of this earth. Well, that that'll create problems too. <laughs> so the, the only answer that would, if I was in charge, I would say, let's stall. We got to stall. Yeah. <laughs> now you have these theories um what does the, the what do the other scientists say to you to you have, have you gone to talk to them about it yet or presented it or have you gotten any feedback on on this stuff uh, oh yeah actually uh, i haven't gone to them uh i, I belong <laughs> to an engineers club here and uh okay. when i'm in when i'm in arizona it, they've changed the name now it's called stem which is not only engineering, but science, technology, and engineering. Okay. Uh, and they meet one monthly, and I've lectured there a couple times. The very first lecture was The Science Behind Alien Encounters, which is my book. Uh, and I've given that to MUFON a couple of times at, at their meetings, uh, and I get positive reactions from it. I've never been heckled. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that exactly. The very first time I gave that lecture in 2004 was down in Beaumont, Texas, at a university there. There was like 150 people that attended. And the next day in the newspapers, apparently there, there had been a reporter in the, in the crowd. Uh, and so the next day, this the he explained that he talked to a number of people and this one lady had said, you know, I think this whole thing about UFOs is the work of the devil. So wow. that's the only negative feedback I've gotten. Uh, but in 2005, I was fortunate that I attended what's called an X conference. It was a series of conferences set up just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., with the intent that uh, maybe they could attract some of the uh, aides or even Congress people themselves to mm -hmm. attend and learn about UFOs. And the keynote speaker that year was Mons the late Monsignor Mons uh, Corrado Balducci, who uh, was from Rome. And in mm -hmm. fact, uh, I think he had been an exorcist out of the out of the Vatican. He was an exorcist, um, but I think the Catholic Church has realized that it's coming, that that the disclosure is coming, and and they're trying to prepare people for that. And so I think he had a mission to start doing that because he went on Rome Radio a number of times talking about UFOs, and his lecture that he gave at the 2005 conference talked about 
the fact that, you know, um, we can't deny this evidence anymore, that there right. might be UFOs and maybe other life. And so we, we can't deny that. Uh, other comments that have come indirectly out of the Vatican are, are similar, but the bottom line that I like to, to give to people is, uh, well, first of all, we're finding that there's probably a lot of planets out there. We know there's a lot of planets, that, that, but a lot that support life. There may be other life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and who are we to put limits on God's creation? Right. Because if, if you say, no, no, there can't be any other life out there, you're putting a limit on what God could create. Right. And, and how can you do that? Don't you think the government, though, um, the powers that be that, that know about this already, they're a little bit afraid. In, in a way, they want to tell people because the, 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 there's, there's going to be like two factions of people. There's going to be the people that think it's the coolest stuff in the world like us, you know, it's gonna, the cool crowd. And then there's going to be the crowd that's afraid of it. And, yeah. um, you know, my thoughts are maybe they're just holding back because they don't want to start a panic with the people that are going to be afraid of it. Well, that that's good theory. Uh, that question keeps coming up whenever I lecture. Is you know why is the government reluctant to to mention this? And mm -hmm. uh, that's one theory. Actually, uh, I'm surprised that the, the first time they actually made an official report, which uh, was out of the Project Sign, was hey, they exist and they're aliens. And that was back in 1948. And since then, though, they've gone flipped over completely the other way. Mm -hmm. And so why would they do that? Well. Uh, the initial thought was, like you said, that the, the people were still jittery from the war, or World mm -hmm. War II, and uh, they, they wouldn't be able to handle it. You know, they couldn't handle the truth, basically. That was the first theory. So we, we don't want to panic the people because if they find out that there are beings out there who have technology that we don't know anything about and couldn't defend against, you could cause a panic. So that's yes. a valid argument uh my my comment back to that is well you know we there's evidence they've been around here for thousands of years if they wanted to wipe us out they would have done it a long time ago so that that's not a good argument <laughs> um another theory is uh, uh dr david jacobs who is professor at uh I forget what school in in uh, new i think it's in philadelphia but anyway he wrote a book called the threat and uh excuse me a second sure. <coughs> he he, he uh, wrote the book called the threat and i just happened to have read that and the very last chapter and even the last paragraph almost he painted this this feeling of deep remorse because in, in the book he was really talking about uh abductions cases mm -hmm. where people had been abducted and and so he ends up in this feeling of remorse. And wouldn't you know, about a week later, I'm at a UFO conference sitting at a round table for lunch. And right across from me is David Jacobs. So I asked him, now he's a, he's a professor of history. So I asked him, I said, well, why did you have this feeling of remorse? He said, well, history has shown that when a more advanced civilization interacts with a less advanced civilization, that eventually the less advanced civilization doesn't exist anymore. Of course, that'd be us. And right. so uh, I give credit to the aliens. I say, if you've got the ability to build the technology to come here, you are probably more advanced spiritually as well. And you're, you're wiser. And you understand that, that to interact directly with us could destroy us. So that's another reason. 
Right. It's because the, the aliens uh, see that. Now, whether the government sees that, I don't know. Another thing they might be afraid of is if suddenly people realize that they can travel from Arizona to Austria in 12 minutes, they're going right. to want that. And also, by the way, they can stop paying their electric bill because it's free energy. And the energy sector, which is a big segment of our economy worldwide, would probably collapse. And right. then, there's a, then there's the other issue of how people who are deeply religious might respond. And that could send shockwaves through that community. So there's a lot of negative side in, in, in the eyes of, let's say, right. government people. A lot of right. negative reasons to, to release this. Uh, I'm getting the feeling, though, that there are people within ufology who are studying this who are actually scratching their head trying to figure out who really is in charge of the, all this secret information because mm -hmm. they're beginning to think it's not necessarily the government. I mean, the president of the United States isn't isn't uh, read in on this usually, you mm -hmm. know, because, you know, they're just an employee for four years, maybe. Um, so who actually is the keeper of the secret? And, and it's so secret that they're willing to kill people in yeah. order to keep it from getting out. Uh, so uh, I, I'm starting to think about alien log number five, a subtitle mm -hmm. might be the deep state. <laughs> so uh, I don't, I don't know who, if the government really is in charge of this whole right. thing. Uh, and, and I would imagine all the governments of the world might have the same problems and be the same concern. Now there is another theory too, uh, that a government might have, and that is if suddenly beings show up who are not only far ahead of us technologically, but spiritually, and okay. people are going to turn to them and they're going to follow them and right. turn their back on the government. Right. So that's another reason why the government probably doesn't want to tell us. So I guess the bottom line is there's a lot of reasons why the government wants to keep it quiet. <laughs> And while you were talking, it, it came to mind too. I mean, we're not only talking about electricity. I mean, if they can make, you know, create these ships, then why can't they create cars that, you know, like in the future, these movies of cars that fly, with meaning we're not going to be using fossil fuels anymore. Well, the other the other benefit, I, I grew up in, in in New England area, and every spring you had potholes. Well, you oh, wouldn't yeah. worry about See? no more oh. potholes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't touch the ground; you just fly yeah. around. You just fly around. Yeah, this is fascinating. This this is very interesting stuff, you know. And well, uh, it's, it's someone me, like uh, it's somebody like you who can who can shape the future. I mean, pe people will say, "Well, he's he's a little off his rocker or whatever," but it's always people like you that shape the future. Well, I, I thank you, but I, it does take people who uh, speak their mind. Basically, that's what I'm yeah. doing. I've come to these conclusions; they make sense to me, and. Uh, and I really, really am concerned that if people aren't prepared for the disclosure day, whatever that is, and I think it might be in my lifetime, uh, mm -hmm. there will be some shocks, you know, economic shocks, uh, religious shocks that occur. And if people are hit cold with that without any preparation, it could be a problem. And uh, the reason I think, because one of the questions that people ask again in my lectures is why don't the aliens interact with us more? And I gave right. you one example. Um, the other one is uh, diversity. 
uh, I happen to think diversity is important for survival of any life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's true within the whole universe that if, if uh, uh, alien species could just land on a planet and take over and create themselves again, you know, on that planet, there's no diversity there. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a rule, so, so some unwritten rule in, out there in the galaxy uh, that when you come across the planet that has developing life forms, you have to kind of keep your hands off. You can observe, maybe help a little bit, but don't try and make them into you because mm -hmm. that destroys diversity. Uh, and unfortunately, we are doing that to this planet. We are destroying sure. diversity to the extent that it, it, it that is going to be a serious problem, I think. And uh, uh, I, I think for that reason, the fact of the damage that we are doing to our planet just in one human lifetime, to, to the environment, to the species, to the diversity, that we are uh, within my lifetime, or at least one other human lifetime, will reach a point of, of creating the next extinction of life on this planet. And I think that will force the aliens to step in with their technology to kind of correct the situation. And that isn't don't too you, far away. Well, don't you think that maybe you know these people that that say there's hybrids? Don't you think that that's what that's about? It's yes. like you say they're combining their their stuff with our stuff, so that when the, when all this happens, there's going to be a stronger you know there's going to be a combination of human and the aliens that that are a stronger not so much a stronger race to get rid of everything else, but to to meld in better with everybody, and to yes. make and, and to prolong it all. Well, actually. Uh... The subtitle of Alien Log Number Two is "The New World Order," and in that book, one of my main characters, who is an astrophysicist, is accidentally abducted, and his uh, abductor, uh, whose name is Quellen, uh, will answer any questions that Corey, the astrophysicist, has. And mm -hmm. that's one of the questions that Corey asks: "Is why are you abducting people and creating hybrids? Because there's evidence that that's what they're doing." And Quallen says, well, the hybrids are going to be used to introduce the new world order. Yep. Because the hybrids will not be so self-centered as people are today. And, and they'll be more concerned about what's good for the, the many than what's good for them. And mm -hmm. so they'll be of a mindset that would be willing to introduce a new approach to government. And that's the new world order. And so Corey says, well, what's that? And it, so Quellen explains it in terms of the way the U.S. government is. You know, we have uh, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and then the president and other things. But uh, in the New World Order, every elected official serves a single four-year term. Uh -huh. One term. So don't even think about running again. And in the House of Representatives, uh, when it's time to elect someone from your district, everyone has registered like the old draft system and the computer automatically pulls out maybe a half a dozen names at random out of that cool pool of uh, people. And they get a letter that says, congratulations, you've been selected to run for Congress. You have 30 days to appeal. After the appeal process, those that are left have to attend a, a, a college level course on uh, uh, government and uh, how governments work. So they, they're not, they, they understand how governments are supposed to work. Um, right. And then after the election, the, the winner 
is sent to Washington for two weeks for orientation, and then they go home and they stay home. There's, there's no reason for them. Even today, why are they all down there in Washington? Right. Look at, look at, I'm on a whole different country talking yeah. to you. Here so we are, why, yeah. do, why do we all have to have them go down to Washington where lobbyists can kind of bend their ears and give them money? That's, uh, true. that's the other thing. The lobbyists would be uh, illegal for, for lobbyists to do what they do. Uh, so anyway, at the end of four years, they're done. They go home. Now they may say, well, I really enjoy doing things for the government, you know, for the people. I would like to run for Senate. So right. there they, they throw their hat in the ring. Uh, again, the, the computer picks a number of hats and says you've been, you've been elected to run for uh, uh, the Senate. And by the way, all the elections are public, publicly financed elections. And so that race goes and the winner again goes to Washington for two weeks of orientation and comes back home where they have an office and staff and everything. Uh, and then after their term, they may say, you know, I think I could be president. Well, same thing. Throw your hat in. But here are two people. Are, one, you have the w winner and the runner up. The runner up is the vice president. And they would they would ride, they would reside in Washington or wherever the, the world capital would be because this is the world mm -hmm. government. So when I say, uh, your district, it could be equivalent to a whole state, you know, and a country would be equivalent to a, a, a whole state. So, right. uh, but that's the new world order. And if you think about the problems we have with our government today, it's got to be better than, than that. Absolutely. Anyway, so that's one reason uh, they are tweaking humanity <clears throat> to kind of get some of these uh, uh, ambitious things out of our mind. And don't you think if, if, if the hybrids are already here, the, the, the thought behind that is that when they do come out on disclosure, let's say, you, let's say you're good buddies with the guy next door and you're out golfing all the time or, or you're going on picnics with your kids and all this, and you find out when the disclosure comes that the guy's a hybrid. That's going to make well, it a lot easier for people to accept. Well, I, I guess, how would you know they're a hybrid? I mean, is there a well, DNA? That's the thing. Yeah, we're just saying is that let's say they're taking these hybrids, and, and that's what I heard is that they're, they're living among us right now, and we don't know yeah. it. Yeah, so I let's could say, be one. Who know, knows? <laughs> and so, yeah, let's say at some point when they come up with all this disclosure to make people feel more at ease, they're going to let people know who the hybrids are, okay? Because it could be your best friend. You know, for all you know, it's it's somebody you're you're really close to. That way, the shock of of them incorporating themselves with us is is not there because we've already been with them. Well, uh, I, I could go back in history a little bit even further if I go back a couple hundred thousand years. Sure. <laughs> uh, if, if you, Zachariah Sitchin wrote an interesting series of books, and in the, the first one, The Twelfth Planet, um, he was exploring the, the history of the Sumerians and their culture and their myths and everything. And uh, that's in his book. And uh -huh. according to the, the Sumerians believe that about 450,000 years ago, aliens landed on this planet. They called them the Anunnaki. They came from a, a planet called Nibiru that was captured and went into orbit around the Earth with a period of 3,600 years. And that it was the Anunnaki who eventually uh, engineered the human species out of, let's say, Homo erectus, 
uh, by giving them more intelligence and again combining their own DNA with sure. the Homo erectus DNA to to kind of tailor them to people who were smart enough to could follow instructions, and um, and and so you could say we're all aliens, right? <laughs> we're, I mean yeah. hybrids. We're hybrids. We've all got hybrids. Blood we're nose. already hybrids, right? We've been hybrids for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I just think I think like you, we're being set up for this. And it's going to surprise people, but at the same time, I think, like I said, if if they are living among us, like like I've heard, then it's not going to be that much of a culture shock, you know, when it does happen. Well, uh, um, several books that I've read about the uh, abduction process and and everything. John Mack, the late John Mack, the psychiatrist mm -hmm. uh, who wrote a good book. I think he traced uh, something like twenty some odd cases. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, so several, but, but Hopkins actually started the process with his book. Uh -huh. uh, but anyway, um, so it's it's the process apparently is a it, it's it doesn't occur overnight. In other words, they'll right. abduct a, a woman and a man, and they'll remove the egg and uh, manipulate the, the DNA to include some of their own, and then uh, the the woman is put back in her bed she wakes up and finds later on that she's pregnant right but, but they don't let the pregnancy go full term no because that fetus would not survive so they again abduct her and all of a sudden she's not pregnant but that fetus then will develop that dna can be used for the next next generation so yep. after maybe four or five of these generations you have a baby who is allowed to go full term. Mm -hmm. Parents don't even know that it's a hybrid, right? And the exactly. child doesn't. No one knows it's a hybrid. They're just very brilliant people, or creative people, or people who are are not uh, so self centered as as normal people, right? Right. And and so so eventually we're going to have everybody be that way, right? With, right. Right. Get, given enough yeah. time, if if that's the process. So I don't or think you have to. I don't think the aliens have to announce. Uh, by the way, yeah. here's a list of people who are hybrids. I don't think they or have your, to do. Or that. your baby's laying in the crib one night and the power goes out and all of a sudden the, its forehead starts glowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But they might make a mistake and, and induce this the glowing thing. I don't know. Maybe that... <laughs> then, then you can suspect just a tad that maybe the kid's a hybrid. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're really fun, you know that. Thank you. <laughs> um, you you also wrote a book about Noah about the flood. Let's talk yes. about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, again, in my research, uh, I came across Sitchin's work, and uh, and it made a lot of sense, and, and it kind of tied in with uh, the the alien whole scenario and ties in with their present day stuff. So that's why I was interested in the history. And um, and what he said made a lot of sense. And he, he said things when he published the book in 1976 that a lot of people didn't believe. For instance, the fact that a rogue planet, what is that? If you ask an astronomer in 1976, are there any rogue planets out there in space? They'd say, what's a rogue planet? Well, we now know there are rogue planets and there may be almost as many rogue planets as as there are Jupiter-sized planets floating around in space. Uh, so he he said that without any proof, but it turns out that's true. Some other things that uh, Sitchin said, um, 
and again, he, he took this out of the mythology of the Sumerians that this, this, um, who was this, uh, Nibiru, this large planet had moons and, mm -hmm. uh, periodically it would come down closer to the sun. I think it, the closest approach would be where the asteroid belt is now. And during one of the circuits, uh, by the way, when counter rotating, I, uh, in other words, it, where all of our planets go around the sun in one direction, well, Nibiru goes in the opposite direction. But anyway, so that's a 50-50 shot there. But anyway, uh, so on one of the transits, uh, it encountered a large planet, which was in the what today we call the uh, asteroid belt, called Tiamat. And it was about twice as big as the Earth. And it came so close that some of the moons of uh, Nibiru began smashing into it and eventually uh, created the Earth itself and threw it down into the lower orbit where it is today. Well, even today, scientists are thinking that maybe there was a major collision with Earth a long time ago. They're thinking like a Mars-sized planet. Huh. But uh, astronomers have been scratching their head for a long time because the, the Earth has uh, so much water on it that it should not have that much water given its location. If you The further out you go from the sun, the more ice you find. In fact, Ceres, which is one of the major... Um, bodies in this asteroid belt is 25% water ice. And if you keep going further, you get more and more ice. And so if Earth indeed originally was constructed, if you would say, uh, out in the asteroid belt area, it would have more uh, water. And, which, and so that, that explains why we have more water, because uh, our planet started out in the asteroid belt. And they've done some research uh, they've taken water samples from uh, asteroids and mm -hmm. meteors and the moon, and uh, they look at the ratio of um, the hydrogen to um, oh, uh, I can't remember what it. It's it's a um, it's one step away from the hydrogen anyway. Deuterium, and uh, the deuterium ratio on the moon is the same as the deuterium ratio. Uh, ratio on Earth in, in, in water. When they sample the deuterium ratio from an asteroid, that's three times higher. If they if they sample the deuterium from um, from an, a, not an asteroid, but I'm not um, but actually it is an asteroid, a, a comet. I I, may, I misread. It's mm -hmm. the comet that goes way out beyond Jupiter, where the, it has three times the higher ratio, where anything that came out of the asteroid belt matches ours. That gives you a clue that, yes, indeed, our water is the same water in the same ratio that has, is out in the asteroid belt. So, so that, that's all evidence that it's occurred 40 years after Sitchin wrote his book, but it supports oh. what he said. Uh, and then he also said that, uh, according to the mythology, that eventually the Anunnaki created uh, humans. And uh, they did that in South Africa because they were mining gold down there and they, it got hard to do. So they, I guess they didn't like to work that hard. So they decided to create these slaves, humans. Uh, and that, that was done about 300,000 years ago, maybe 200,000. He said that in 1976. Again, people scoffed at that. Well, mm -hmm. in uh, I think 10 years later, 1986, scientists from UC California, uh, genetics people 
who had taken the placenta from like 47 people around the world and analyzing the mitochondrial DNA came to the conclusion, well, we think the first human appeared in South Africa about 200,000 years ago. That's, that's 10 years after Sitchin made that statement. So he, he didn't have access to that data when he said that, uh -huh. but yet it turned out that what he said was correct. So a lot of things he said, I think is correct, which is why I thought when he said, he thought that the Noah's flood was the result of a mega tsunami caused as ice, huge thick ice sheets in Antarctica started collapsing into the ocean. And he believed that the thing that caused that was the near approach of uh, Nibiru, that every time it came in close in, that its gravitational field kind of added to the Earth and, and this unstable several mile high ice started crumbling and falling into the ocean. So he blamed the, the approach of Nibiru. Uh, and that, that's what he said. Well, anyway, I decided to investigate that further. Again, applying 40 years of new science. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. And I think he was on the right track. First of all, I think Noah's flood, the story that's in the Bible, uh, and also some mythology, like uh, uh, the Sumerian mythology, that indeed it, it happened as a result of, of the ice as we were coming out of the ice age collapsing into the mm -hmm. Indian Ocean. I don't believe it was caused by Nibiru, though. And... Uh, Sitchin had claimed it happened 13,000 years ago. I claim it was probably closer to 14,500 years ago. And that's because during that period of time, we the Earth went through a tremendous warming period. And at that time, 14,500 years ago, uh, sea level was 370 feet lower than it is now. And if you look at the depth of the ocean in the... Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me a second. In... Um, the, the Gulf of, um, now I can't remember, but anyway, uh, it, it, the, the sea level was only uh, 150 feet deep in, in the, the, the Persian Gulf. That's it. Uh -huh. it, it, I, I call it the Persian Lake now, but or it was then, because it was only 150 feet deep in the center. Wow. And, but yet the, the ocean around the world was 370 feet lower. So that meant that the Persian Gulf was a lake. And you can actually see evidence of four rivers that fed into that, which is just like the Bible said. So 14,500 years ago, the Persian Gulf was a lake. And on the northern edge of that was the Sumerian civilization. Uh, two rivers came down, of course, the Tigris and Euphrates River. And the, the, the ice that was stacked up along the eastern edge of uh, Antarctica was eight miles thick, higher than Mount Everest. And the topography of the land on the eastern is very steep, relatively speaking. So when the ice sheets, which are floating on the water, break up because of this warming spell, they no longer hold back the glaciers that are marching toward the sea. And you can visualize them calving in as they... Uh, march toward the sea uh -huh. so can you imagine a piece of ice a chunk of ice eight miles thick that falls into the water how much energy i mean it would shake it actually shook the earth's crust that would be a huge wave that would it, be huge and it's actually a series of waves. it went on right. it went on for uh, several thousand years and periodically it was about every three thousand years at first so so you know uh, sitchin was close 
so there was these waves of huge tsunamis. And I think Noah was involved in the very first one that came and carried mm -hmm. him and his family uh, north between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, primarily along the Euphrates. And he came aground probably about where Turkey, the southern border of Turkey, and then wandered further on. And according to mythology, um, he was called Upnapishtim in the mythology, but that I call him Noah, settled in uh, where just north of, uh, on, on the Euphrates River, just north of where they currently build a dam. And uh, so as they were getting ready to build this dam, the archeologists went to the site where all these structures were, these megaliths and everything that had been constructed there, photographed them and studied them before they got buried underwater because they're underwater now. Um, so that was 14,500 years ago in my book. Well, about 20 years ago, they discovered some um, ancient monoliths overlooking the plain of Haran, which is up in Turkey. And uh, it's called Gobekli Tepe. And you can, you can Google that. They're, they found like four rings so far, rings of stone that, that form a ring. And in the center are two large stones, 20 feet high. And the leading edge of the stone has an anthropomorphic drawing on it, carving of a human, like or a human. And the two tall ones are in the center, just like the two major gods of the Sumerian culture. And they're facing south, more or less south. And there's three rings that have been uncovered so far, and the, the two are, are always facing generally south, but not exactly the same direction because they were built during different time periods. Um, now, the archaeologist who has passed away had, had done ground penetrating radar, and he said, mm -hmm. well, there's really a total of 20 rings, and the ones further down may be 14,000 years old. Wow. And so... I can visualize Noah after he settles in where he did, about 25 miles away. Uh, his family's going to grow like flies. I mean, they, they, they multiplied like flies. <laughs> Back then, they lived to be like 900 years old, and they could reproduce all the way up to that, as far <laughs> as I know. So anyway, so there was a lot of people, and they had the people to build these structures. And uh, they were religious. They, you know, they... they uh, they had these 12 gods that they worshiped. And, and so they would have built Gobekli Tepe as a re religious uh, site. And uh, probably every 3,600 years, uh, Nibiru would come in. And he, he would appear from the southern uh, horizon, according to Sitchin. And that's been verified. That when it does appear, it will show, you know, appear on the southern horizon. And I did a calculation that it will only be inside the orbit of Jupiter probably for about five years. The rest of that 3,600 years is way out there, way beyond Pluto. So it must be a cold place to live. But anyway, <laughs> uh, and so all that all ties together. Right. Then uh, when I started lecturing on this, I talked about how Abraham, who grew up in the town of Ur, now Ur is a, a town on the northern edge of the uh, Persian Gulf. It was a lake then. It was marshland, actually. And it was one of the oldest communities. And so I, I talked about how Abraham 
at some point moved and migrated over to Canaan. I, I show on a map going up and what, and then he goes up into this Valley of Horan and then back down. Why would he do that? Well, because he actually wasn't born in Ur. He was born yeah. in a town called San Lierfa or Urfa, which is 25 miles. It's, it's almost about 25 miles from Gobekli Tepe. It's on the, it's kind of a pocket in the Valley of Horan and uh, then on the, the north um, west pocket there's a town there called San Lierfa. And I just happened to stumble when I was surfing the internet on a travel log and the guide was saying, come with me, I'll take you to the cave where Abraham was born. So I'm thinking Abraham was born in San Lierfa. Okay. And also in the ancient Jewish tradition, they talk about Abraham having spent time in the house of Noah and also his son for education, because that's right. the way people learned. They didn't have writing back then. And that would have only been about a 25 mile walk from St. Leofra to get to where I think Abraham really started. I mean, not Abraham, but Noah landed on near the Euphrates River. Well, so one day uh, it seemed that uh, Abraham's father, Terah, decided, you know, he was a, the, the hate, patriarch of the family. So when he says, let's do something, everybody packs up and they do it. So they packed up to head to Canaan. I don't know why they wanted to go to Canaan, uh, but maybe one of the sons who migrated in that direction from Noah uh, said, hey, the weather's good here. The fishing's great. Why don't you come visit? <laughs> so anyway, they were on their way. They got as far as the center of the plain of Haran, and uh, Abraham's younger brother, Haran, died. Uh, I don't know why, but the father apparently said, I am going to spend the rest of my life here. And so that's where they stayed. Abraham stayed there until he was about 75 years old. And then he got a calling to, to for one God, because it's a polytheistic mm -hmm. community to go to Canaan and start this new religion. So that's my story. <laughs> that is really cool. That's really cool. I want to thank you. This hour went by so fast. You are terrific. Yes, it, it you, are, you are terrific. And I would love to get you back on again to talk more. I could talk to you all day. Well, I could too. <laughs> I mean, that's only nine. It's ten o'clock. I can keep going here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I'm working my next book. Uh, I I just came out with the second edition of the Science Behind Alien Encounters, where I included uh, information on these bodies that were found in Peru. But I'm also working on a book that I've been working on for several years on the science behind the creation of our universe without a Big Bang. And uh, it, the book, which I've st started working on, I'm, I'm just started part three. It's a three-part book. Part one is a history of astronomy uh, all the way up to present time, stopping along the way where there is either because of a person or equipment, there's a paradigm shift on how we view the, the universe. Then part two is a discussion of the Big Bang hypothesis, how it came about and all the problems with it. Part three is a new theory that I did not invent, but I, I'm a believer of it, that uses the same data, but doesn't violate any laws of physics and makes a lot more sense. 
And so I'm working on that book. I have been lecturing on that already for several years, um, but it hasn't become a book yet. Fantastic. How do people find you? Uh, go to my website, www.alienlog.com, and there's links uh, to, uh, to how to reach me. And also uh, you can link and click a link and end up buying a book. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Sounds really good. But I'm serious. I, I could talk to you all day, and I want to get you back on because I want to pick your brain some more. Okay. Well, that's a deal. Okay. Uh, I, I don't have to finish the book uh, to talk about the <laughs> the alien. Or we didn't talk anything about the um, the bodies found in Peru. You want to do that? I got time. I don't. You you you're in charge of this program. Go for it. I got time. Go for <laughs> it. I'm good. Okay. Well. Um, <laughs> First of all, I, let me back up just a little bit. The, in my studies of the Sumerian culture, I, I noticed one thing. The number 12 was very important to them. Mm -hmm. It was Their number system is a multiple base of 12. The reason, that because they are the oldest civilization on this planet, the reason we have 12 months in the year is because of the Sumerians. Mm -hmm. and the reason there are two periods of 12 hours in a day is because of the Sumerians. So there's a lot of things that tie into 12 and i'm thinking why is that so important for me 10 would be the logical choice right right i mean got 10 fingers and i understand that uh in um uh down in uh chichen itza and uh mexico or there the, the, they actually used a number of based on 20 which be because they had 10 toes and 10 fingers maybe i don't know so i'm thinking and, and all this time, I'm thinking, why 12? Well, in, in November of 2017, I attended uh, a UFO conference in Nevada. Paula Harris puts that on. It's a great, great con uh, you know, convention, you might say. But uh, Jaime Masson gave a lecture. Jaime Masson, a lot of you probably know, uh, is a, a, a journalist, a researcher, journalist uh, out of Mexico City. Uh, and he's on TV, I think, every Sunday night. But anyway, so he gave the very first speech on these bodies that were found near Nazca, Peru. There's two different species, but both species are tridactyl, three fingers, three toes, 12 digits. Wow. That got my attention. <laughs> and in uh, Bolivia, just south of Peru, they found this... Uh, bowl that had been buried in the ground that had a lot of uh, cuneiform writing indicating that there's a connection between the Sumerian civilization and that part of the world. And so I'm thinking, I wonder if these bodies uh, somehow are were involved with the Anunnaki. And, and did the Anunnaki, were they tridactyl? You know, I've never got a good description of what the Anunnaki looked like. But uh, so anyway, these bodies, there's two species that were found. I, I believe some grave robbers found them sometime late in 2015 and then uh, sat on them for a while. <laughs> but anyway, eventually they took them to in around 2016 to the Inkari Institute in Cusco. And uh, uh, Thierry Jamin, who, who started that and is president founder, but uh, they, they brought these, these body parts and they said, we want to know if these are human. And uh, anyway, after a while, Theory realized not only were they hum human, but they were historic finds. And apparently he posted some of them on the internet. 
mm-hmm. everybody thought they were fake because uh, that's done a lot down there. Uh, they'll take bones and assemble them, make it look like something else. And so people generally didn't believe it, but uh, there was a biologist that apparently was convinced and contacted Jaime Massalm. And Jaime, uh, through a series of uh, inter- internet uh, uh, discussions, became convinced that this was worth looking at. And he convinced Gaia, uh, some people are familiar with the Gaia.com, uh, to help with the project. They helped fund a lot of it, I guess. And they organized a team of researchers from different parts of the world. And in, uh, I think it was April of 2017, um, they went there and began looking at these bodies. <coughs> so the initial thing that they had to prove was that the, these bodies were real. They weren't assembled from the skeleton of cadavers. So the carbon dating indicated that if they were, they was done over 1,100 years ago. So whoever did it was pretty clever back then. But uh, since then, they've done a lot of things uh, with uh, uh, doing x-rays and uh, computer tomography. And when you look at these these images done with, with tomography, there's no way that was assembled. And the, those bodies grew that way. It's clear. So they're for real. Uh, the smaller species is a little over two feet tall. Again, tridactyl. Um, one or two of them actually have eggs in them. They appear to be more uh, reptilian than mammalian. And uh, they were dated to have died around 1,100 years ago. The other one is a, a larger species. Would, if she stood up, she would be about the size of a normal human woman. Um, also tridactyl, but other than that, look very human. Obviously, uh, I'm a mammalian. Mm-hmm. So she died, they think, around 17,500 years ago. I mean, 1,750 years ago, excuse me, 1,750 right. years ago. Uh, now, the DNA of her was like 25% human. The rest is something else. The DNA of the smaller species doesn't match anything. Anything that's in the database. And uh, so I believe that both of them are aliens. They they didn't spend their life on this planet. Now, in 2019, in November, uh, the bodies finally were given a safe place because prior to that, they were moved from place to place in cardboard boxes being hidden uh, by the grave robbers because it was illegal to even have them. And uh, and the government wanted them. But a university in Ica decided they would take them in and do research on them. And so in November of 2019, they had a conference. And so I went down there with Jaime. Uh, Jaime was kind enough to let me tag along. Mm-hmm. And uh, I listened to some presentations and saw some bodies. In my book, there's a picture of me standing in front of them. Um, they're coated in uh, white powder, which is a diatomaceous earth, to preserve them. And that's the way they were found with that same powder. <laughs> Some people say, well, that was code with cement, but that's not true. Anyway, uh, so when I was down there, well, one of the computer tomography in the images uh, where they can actually slice through your body, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Maria, Maria is the large species, very human-like. In her gut uh, was something that looked like feces. 
And so I told him, I said, you know, uh, if if she didn't come from Earth, then the, the uh, carbon dating of her tissues is not valid because the carbon dating only works if the organism has spent its whole life on Earth. Right. If it didn't, then it's not valid. But I said, you know, that feces that's there, whatever she ate probably spent its whole life here. So if you carbon date that species and you find out that it's much different than her tissue, you might even be able to calculate when she came to this planet. As far as I know, they haven't done that yet. Right. But that, that was my suggestion. Uh, anyway, I'm so convinced that they represent alien bodies that uh, I dedicate a whole chapter in my, in my uh, edition of uh, Science Behind Alien Encounters. The last chapter is based on that. A lot of pictures uh, to convince people that they're for real. And I even, when I was writing uh, Alien Log Number 4, the subtitle is The Antarctica Affair. Uh -huh. where this craft is buried under a thousand feet of ice. And these little right. creatures, when they finally get in, they find that there's these little guys running around, little two-foot triadactyl, who are maintaining this craft. And they're grown by the makers, who we, we don't meet because they left to go explore the planet. But um, I do show uh, tomography images of both species in that science fiction book. Absolutely fascinating. And I was thinking about the, uh, excuse me. Ah, there we go. It's rough when you get old. I was thinking, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I was thinking about the, 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 the three fingers, three toed things, a uh, hybrid reptile, uh, reptilians. Uh, yes. Well, you know, I actually did some research on that because uh, the tomography does not show any evidence of a digestive system or lungs in those, those that species. <clears throat> so, the, and the bones, instead of having like two bones in the forearm, like uh -huh. we do, it's a single bone. And it looks very much like a frog. If you look at a, uh, go on Google and look and get an x-ray of a, of a frog, their uh -huh. bones look just like these species. And then I, I, after my whole life, I didn't know this, but this research forced me to learn that frogs can breathe underwater. A lot of people don't know that. Didn't know that. Frogs have frogs have lungs. When they're on air, I mean, when they're out of the water, they can breathe with their lungs, and they do that by if you ever see the bottom of their on under their chin right, the, go up and down. Right. They're they're they're, they're closing their nostrils. They're moving the air in and out of their lungs because they don't have a diaphragm. Uh -huh. uh, and frogs do have a digestive system because they can eat bugs. These guys don't have either. Huh. Uh, and they have a very small mouth, and the theory was, well, maybe they just live on a liquid diet. I'm thinking maybe they're like frogs, because a frog, when it's underwater, can absorb oxygen and expel CO2 through their skin. So I depict these little guys as being like frogs, and what they do and in my story, they periodically have to go and soak themselves in a nutrient where they absorb their energy. And they don't talk about living or dying. They talk about running out of energy or not. Uh -huh. So when they when they run out of energy, they have to be taken back and put back in this this bath of nutrients to re-energize them. Okay. Now, if they're totally damaged because of an accident, then they're gone. But they do carry around these eggs. And uh, so one of my characters in the story says, "Well, um, when do you, you know?" 
lay the egg, so to speak. And he says, uh, whenever the uh, makers need a new one. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're producing these little, they're, they're like uh, robots, but they're actually right. living creatures. And uh, but they communicate amongst each other telepathically, and and the whole ship has a brain basically in it that that senses all of them, and they're all tied together telepathically. So it's an amazing society, if you would. And they just kind of live for thousands of years. When you think about it, and that's the other thing, uh, we tend to think in terms of hours and days and years. Right. Aliens who have the technology to travel here have also probably figured out how to live as long as they want. And so they probably live for thousands of years. And they are probably willing to take on a project that to us would be several hundred years. But for them, it's a project. Uh -huh. They're very patient. They, they probably would be much more patient than we are. And, and, and if, you, if you say, well, wow, you know, if you were here all these thousands of years and you saw us have a war, why didn't you step in during World War II and still and not let us kill 20 million people? And, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, if you've ever had children, you know that they have to fight. You have to let them fight, fight it out. Right. And so that, that's the argument for them not stepping in earlier. But I think you have to think in different terms of when you think it, put yourself in an alien mind that, that time has a different meaning. Right. Totally different. There's no urgency. OK. And uh, and you have all this technology available. You don't worry about getting the next meal because everything's provided. To your housing, shelter, it's all provided, which led me to believe that they're, they're more benevolent than malevolent. I, I don't think they have the same spirit of uh, competitive spirit that we have uh -huh. to the extent of killing each other. <laughs> I think that's that's not there in, in them. They're, they're, and, and, and that's going to be in us eventually with, with right. the, uh, the hybrids right 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 yeah. um i was just thinking um you know like like you talk about traveling light years and all this i wonder because how old these aliens can age to be because i mean maybe who knows maybe the ones that were coming to e ancient egypt and the you know in the in biblical lands are the ones that are still coming here yeah could be it could be by the way, there is an interesting uh, side thing about this negative gravity thing. Uh -huh. um, you think, well, okay, the nearest star is four light years away. So uh -huh. even if you were an alien, it would you have to spend four years on the road to get here. Um, so, but maybe not, because in a negative gravitational field, the local speed of light increases. Mm -hmm. And so you're not limited by the same speed as the external environment, but in your bubble of negative gravity, uh, you can travel much faster than the speed of light. And so maybe it's um, a hyperdrive, you might call it. Right. So maybe it doesn't take you four years to go to the closest star. Maybe it only takes you a couple of days. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is, huh? But I you, you really, about that. yeah, you got to really kind of just put aside your human human being and think if I were alien and, and I could live as long as I want, I have all this technology, how would I behave? You know? And in fact, when I was writing alien log, I was halfway through still trying to decide, you know, I don't want to lead. I don't want to be a Pied Piper and lead people over the cliff and say, these guys are all good. Don't worry about them. I wanted to try and figure it out. And, um, 
so I, I said, you know, first of all, they have the technology to travel here. And when you get to that stage where you don't have to worry about shelter or food or anything like that, everything is provided. Uh, what do you do for excitement? I mean, you've probably seen all the TV programs. Right. Uh, well, maybe you get the whole community together and you get on this big ship and you go exploring and you have hardly any reason to ever return because all your friends are with you. Because if you do return because of the time travel thing, uh-huh. all the people you may have known may have died. But anyway, so it's a different world. This is a completely different world. Yeah. Thank you so much. And again, I want to get you back on. And I really appreciate you coming on. I wish I was there with you in Innsbruck. I really do. And it's got to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. All the snow and all that, all that Christmassy stuff going on, and all the lights and all the castles yeah. and you know and everything uh, over there. Well, but actually, I, really... I, I look out my window and I can see. You know, they've held uh, the Olympics here, the Winter Olympics here. Right. Uh, I think twice. I can see the ski jump. You know where they do that. Oh, cool. Ski, uh, and, yeah. So it is. It's. I'm neat. jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous, but thank you so much. And I will be in touch with you to set up another day to get you on because I, I, I still want to talk to you. Okay. Uh, well, that's a deal. I, okay, I enjoy so, being on. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you have a great Christmas. You too. And a happy right, new year. Sir. Happy new year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, that was really fun. Um, and for Henry and Wilbur and Jerry, who stuck with us tonight, um, I'm glad you guys came in. We had a really good show tonight. I'm really excited about this. Um, tomorrow, which is technically Wednesday because today is Tuesday, because this is going to be put back, you know, on uh, on to show for people tomorrow, tomorrow, the morning during, you know, the afternoon during the day. So we're kind of shifting gears, and we're going to have a gentleman named Jerry Polly come on, and he hosts uh, the Hillbilly Horrors podcast. But uh, we're going to and we're going to be talking about southern ghost hauntings with him, along with worldwide ghost hauntings with him. So he's going to be on with us tomorrow, which should be Wednesday. Um, I want to thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. If you liked the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. Uh, we're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And as you can see, I've got a ticker going along the bottom of the page down there and what that is is california haunts is a is a non-profit organization so everything to run this show comes out of my pocket meaning the internet um the the uh stream service the lighting you name it the mics everything plus the equipment for the paranormal team to do investigations so it all comes out of my pocket so if you could find it in your heart to help us out a little bit to keep these shows coming and, and these great guests coming i'd appreciate it um, you could try it at paypalme.californiahaunts, or uh, if, if, you're, if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, we do have a Venmo, and you just sign into Venmo, and type in California Haunts, and you can donate from there. But I'd appreciate it, because like I said, I want to keep these guests coming. You know, I want to keep people like like Robert Farrell coming on, because I, I love to educate that's my job. I'm a, you, know, you guys know I'm, I'm a journalist in, in real life, and I just thoroughly enjoy educating people about things even if it's ufos you know if it's bigfoot or, or whatever it is i just love to educate anyway i want to thank you guys for coming tonight and i will see you guys i will not be on live tomorrow or today because this is already recorded but i will be back on wednesday get <laughs> my days messed up here so these time changes i'll be back on wednesday and we'll be live at 6 30 p.m pacific time see you guys later